Welcome to the Heart of Dating Podcast. Hey, it's Kate. I'm so glad you could join us this week as we try to untangle the ever so ambiguous world of dating as a Christian. Over here on Heart of Dating, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to approach Christian dating. Oh, and you better believe we have some laughs along the way, because last time I checked, the struggle is hashtag real. You know what I'm saying? Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Why, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Heart of Dating podcast today. It's your host, Kate Warman here, and I'm just really excited that you are joining us for this episode. Now, a quick story to preface what we're about to talk about today. Last November, I had the honor and privilege of getting to visit an incredible place outside of Nashville in a small town of Cumberland Furnace called Onsite. For those of you that have never heard of this place called Onsite, I'm going to tell you what it is. It's a therapy retreat center that's known for their therapeutic framework combined with their healing hospitality that allows for you to truly find the emotional healing that you need to thrive in the future. Their vision at Onsite is to connect the world through empathy, self-awareness, resiliency, and compassion. They're committed to creating the highest quality experience possible through their passion, trauma-informed expertise, clinical innovation, and healing hospitality. So in essence, you guys, you'll go away for a week at one of their programs. You'll arrive at this beautiful oasis of a location in the middle of nowhere with no distractions, no technology. But what you will find is a community of incredible people, so many wonderful therapists, and really yummy food and comfortable accommodations. I honestly didn't want to leave. Even though the work was hard, I didn't want to leave because I loved it so much. My time at Onsite truly transformed my life in so many ways. I'm just so grateful that I finally had the opportunity to go after hearing and meeting so many different people who had gone and raved about their experiences and said, Kate, you have to go to Onsite. It is such an incredible time. So I did it, you guys. I pulled the trigger and I specifically did their program called Healing, Love, and Relationships. This program helps you to address the core wounds that are driving self-sabotaging behaviors and the need for external validation and approval through relationships. It's an incredible program for anyone with a historical pattern of dysfunctional relationships that's also maybe frequently disappointed by unrealistic expectations and a propensity towards codependency and things of that nature. Everything about Onsite is nurturing, healing, and empowering, and I venture to personally say I will never be the same. It is such an incredible environment to really heal and build your self-worth. So I am so thrilled because today I had the honor and privilege of inviting one of the Onsite professional therapists, Christine Jackson, onto the show. Christine Jackson is a clinical supervisor at Onsite. With a Master of Social Work from the University of Pennsylvania, Christine went to UCLA for certification in co-occurring disorders. She remained in California for the next two decades working as a clinical director of mental health, addictions, and eating disorders program. As a lifelong learner, Jackson is certified in several modalities including play therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, brief strategic family therapy, motivational interviewing, eating disorders, disorders, daring way, and experiential therapy. Now she lives in Nashville with her husband, Kelly, and their dog, Scully. Now friends, today, Christine and I dive deeper into love, addiction, and codependency. We talk about on-site, the things that I learned there, and some of the things that I'm excited to share with you about my experience, as well as things that I learned about love, addiction, and codependency.
codependency. It was such a beautiful conversation and I'll be honest, I shared quite a bit openly about my personal struggles in this area as well because don't forget guys, I'm on this journey with you. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with the incredible Christine Jackson. Christine Jackson, welcome to the Heart of Dating podcast today. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you. What an honor and a privilege to be here. Excited <laughs> to be in your, specifically your heart space as well. Oh, I love it. Christine, I just, it's so cool the way we got to meet. We met at such an amazing space called Onsite and I actually haven't really talked about it with the listeners of Heart of Dating yet, though I post about it a little on social media, but um, gosh, that just, the week I I spent it on site was such a precious, such a memorable, such a life changing experience for me. And that's where I had also the amazing opportunity to meet you at on site. <laughs> I love that. Oh my God. I, I can't wait to hear how you've been since. Oh my um, gosh. Yes. Well, I, for every, and I'm certainly happy to answer that for everyone to hear. I would love to just talk and if you could maybe even let people know, you know, what is onsite? I know you you do some work with them, but what is what is this thing called onsite? Cuz people are going to be like, you're onsite at what? Like what is <laughs> It is an interesting name. Yeah. Um developed 40 years ago by a woman named Sharon Washesser Cruz and she used to take the healing heart of what we do to people, which then made it be called oh, onsite cuz she would be coming to you. Oh yeah, she would be coming O-N-S-I-T-E to you. So <laughs> on-site workshops um, has been around that long and has helped tens of thousands of individuals feel better equipped to handle the challenges that life throws their way mm. because the on-site team, including me, truly believes that no one should have to carry the difficulties of life alone. Mm. So what we do specifically is we offer four to six day workshops of different topics mm. for those looking to better understand themselves and how they relate with others. And those who need to unpack stress, burnout, resolve emotional pain, repair fractured relationships, on-site partners with the best therapist, in my yeah. humble biased opinion, <laughs> yeah, from all over the globe um, that specialize in trauma, codependency, process addiction, stress, burnout, family of origin issues, shame, resiliency, and help people overcome dysfunctional patterns to establish healthy relationships and mm. to really be able to live life instead mm. of just survive it. Right. Thrive instead of just survive, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so you guys do such, it's so incredible. And I had heard about OnSite for some time. I've had a few incredible people. In fact, someone who, a dear friend of mine who came on the podcast Actually, he's been on twice. Mike Foster, he actually, oh, you yeah. know, Mike? Yeah. I do. Yes. So he's what a, a great guy. He is just the best. He's just our modern day Mr. Rogers. Shout out, Mike. Seriously. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Mike. And he actually, over a year ago, I was telling you before, we had an episode on codependency and he came on to talk about that subject. I just, I think I first heard of Onsite actually through him years ago and he's just raved about his experience there and hearing about it both through his podcast fun therapy from him personally or I've taken his workshop rescue academy I was like whoa this place on site sounds really 
flipping amazing and I want to find out more. And then since then I've, I've like met uh, multiple people who have crossed my paths who have also been to onsite and just shared the impact of there's just like this deep like wow that was a really hard week and really beautiful and a lot of feelings and you should do it <laughs> you should go um and so after hearing about this over and over I was like okay I need to I really want to experience this incredible place and so I had the opportunity to go to the program was it? It was in November of 2019. For one of your, um, you, I love this program, the Healthy Love and Relationships Program, which sounds so perfect for what I do and for what I'm all about. Yes, and truly, it's one of my favorites as well. We, and I know what you're doing to reach out to those who are looking at their relationship patterns. There's no better courage than to draw on the intimacy that we are trying to connect with others. And if it feels like something isn't happening right in that, it can really deeply feel like a wounding as I walk around in the world. So I love that kind of healing. Yes, me too. And I will say it takes a lot of courage to go to a place like onsite because mm-hmm. for people who don't know, you go, like Christine said, for like four to six days. You also, just for everyone listening, if you're curious to go, you surrender your technology, but it's amazing. <laughs> it's very hard at first, but not actually. It's so beautiful to really strip away distractions and come to a place that's kind of in the middle of nowhere, that's so peaceful that you guys make it so comforting, like everything about the atmosphere from the the aesthetics there to the cabins, to the people, to just everything feels com- – to the food. Oh, my goodness. I cannot forget the food. <laughs> um, everything just feels like a warm comfort blanket, which is nice while you're also dealing with really hard things during the day. Um, Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> kind of need that. But it's beautiful to be able to strip some things like technology and distractions away from us so that we can really focus and focus on – learning, just meeting other people as well and our own healing, but also here, like healing through the community of other people, which I know is a big thing that you guys are about as well. Absolutely. I think one of the things, and we're talking about that, that we go around the world and in relationship to others, we often have reflections of aspects of ourselves. And truthfully, what I am used to presenting to the world is oftentimes a well-honed mask Um, that I think this is what the world wants me to be. And so when I can, and the element of stripping away the technology, taking away the iPhone, iPad, (laughs) iWatch, whatever it is, I everything, everything, then we begin to look at each other in the eyes and Mm. we begin to connect with our hearts and we begin to be human beings Mm. instead of human doers. Because inevitably, if I have all my stuff, the other thing we do is we ask people to come as people, not as your professions. Mm -hmm. So within the first two minutes of most conversations and particularly probably with daters as well, (laughs) we ask without even intentionally doing this, we say, oh, my name is, what do you do? And then we build up so many stories about whatever the answer is Mm -hmm. that it's hard to connect heart to heart when we're still trying to figure out, oh, that probably means you're fill in the blanks. And I'd rather fill in the blanks with my heart. So we ask people not only leave that aside, but just come in with your name and let's try to connect that big journey, that 18 inches between head and heart. 
Yes, I love that. And what I so deeply loved also about this and like not sharing with anyone that I was a dating coach was, (laughs) which also is funny because I'm there for like my own healthy love and relationships. And I'm like, I'm a dating coach. Hello. Um, (laughs) It was just comical for me behind the scenes. But uh, and speaking to that, every I think every therapist, every counselor, I'm not a therapist, but everybody that does anything also needs their own help with that, even if they talk on the Absolutely. subject. So it was so special for me to do that. But what I also love just within what you're saying is at these meals with people that we would commune with, everyone else there, you know, usually your security blanket answer is to talk about work or to talk about yeah, talk about work, talk about what you do. It's like an easy filler conversation because it's a lot of what we spend our days doing. But at the end of the day, we would meet together for dinner or for lunch and it would be like, hey, well, how are you doing? And you really don't have any choice but to see like, well, (laughs) I mean, I can't talk about work. So I guess I got to be really real about me and what I'm where I'm really at today. And so you immediately get connected with people with total strangers and you have this, you share such a beautiful heart to heart connection. I I think that was something that outside of the work we did and the hard work in the sessions, like just the community of being seen by a total stranger and not being seen back by them for what I do, but for who I am was just so powerful. And I don't know about you, but when I authentically, vulnerably allow someone to see me at my messy, because that's what I believe that I'm doing as I hone this professional mask. I, I believe, you know, I came as a therapist my first time and I was so glad that no one knew I was a therapist as I <laughs> sorted out what, what I needed to work on that if someone can see me and hold me and love me and appreciate me as I share my mess, then for the first time, maybe for some of us, then someone's really seen me instead of, and holding all of that instead of, oh my gosh, if you really knew me mm-hmm. behind my profession or professional self or the, the, pers- the personal self that is the mess underneath the public image that I've created, If I've been doing image management, it's hard Mm. to let someone in all the way to the place that I want to. So I am so curious about (laughs) you and how you're doing as you (laughs) launch from that place with your big heart. Yeah, my gosh, there. I thank you for asking. I... It's been, well, one thing that's been really cool is I'm still in touch with my group, the small group I had, Mm -hmm. and that's been really special. We've been doing a book study together. Um, And so that's been really nice to keep connected. And just personally myself, I mean, I love that you guys talk about like the two degrees. Um, Maybe will you just quickly explain that and then I'll explain where where I'm at with the two degrees. Yeah, I almost used that phrase when I asked you. I thought, oh, maybe not everyone uses that. (laughs) So we at Onsite really suggest and encourage that when you're coming out of a place where we've basically done metaphorically some open heart surgery to get it more open, then take the shifts, the desire to make some changes in your life with a two degree rudder. Mm. So if I set sail and try to change course in the direction that my heart's been wanting for two degrees, then can you imagine what happens and unfolds after a day, a week, a month, a year Mm. in that direction? And if I go in here and just, wow, and I want to make a 180, I can really self-sabotage. I can really say, oh my gosh, I thought I was going to 
how many of us in January 1st say, I'm going <laughs> to yes. eat right, I'm going to exercise. And, you know, statistics would say that those are all abandoned because we've maybe done too big mm. of a want and desire step and keep the want and desire. But can you make yourself successful in two degrees or more? So sounds like that's happening for you. <laughs> yes. So a few of my two. And I love that because it makes it so much more manageable and it it levels the expectation and also uh it's like increments over time which i think like you said over time makes so much of a, it make a huge change you're totally in a new course at first it may seem small but over time consistently doing that you're somewhere totally different and um so for me there were some major nuggets and major discoveries personally that I needed to come to, but I just, a big work we did was, you know, figuring out where I, my tendencies within love addiction, and then also why I've gotten there, mainly through my inner child stuff, which I had not done a lot of work on that before. And so some of my two degrees, like work has been connecting to my inner child. And I've done that through meditation. Christine, every morning meditation with you was incredible, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> and yes. And so I've sometimes find it hard to do meditation on my own sometimes, even though I've been doing my best. And then I've also found places to go to group meditation, which helps me accountability wise, because I know if I'm in the room, there's no phones allowed. <laughs> I'm going to do the meditation, you know, for the sure. full time. And that I live in LA. So everyone who's listening is gonna be like, really, you've got a meditation class in LA. It's a very LA thing to do. <laughs> but it's been amazing. I also just fully transparent, like no Notice that in the inner workings of my heart and my inner child, there was a lot of built up angst that I had for a lot of reasons. And so I realized and recognized I needed to release that in ways. And if I don't release that, it usually comes out through a variety of means. And so I've been taking up boxing, which has been amazing. <laughs> Wow. Um, I love that. I love it, girl. It is. I go in with an intention in my boxing class. I'm focused. What am I frustrated about? What lie do I believe? What who hurt me? What is and what do I need to focus on? And just like literally this entire hour, you know, punch this bag and do. And it's a class. It's great. But just the physical act of moving those frustrations, the angst, the anger out of my body has been so, so helpful. And staying in touch with my group and and just really practicing, to be honest, some of these things that I learned even within relationships, because I've had dating situations since then just that have come up. And it's been so helpful to come back to the things I've learned. Um, and it's actually really changed some of the ways I've been functioning, which has been amazing. So <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. And I'm a big believer that, you know, Knowledge is just a rumor until the body can express it. So I love that we can know or be smart about a whole bunch of things, but there's a somatic experience oftentimes to our wounding. And there is a somatic expression that can release it in a really healthy, healthy and helpful way and probably makes you really badass. Or you yes. know, you're, you're probably really, I just 
I, you're on my team. Okay, I can count on you as my tribe. I want to be on that side of it. <laughs> yes, girl. I mean, this is so funny to the point of I had to have a hard conversation with a friend this week. And so before we had the conversation, I was like, girl, do you want to just first go to boxing together? <laughs> so we did and we got it all out. And then we had the hard conversation after. And it was we were both so much more relaxed. <laughs> and it was oh, amazing. That's great. Fully, fully recommend it. So Christine, I do want to, now that we kind of gone through some of what Onsite is, what you guys do there, I'd love to kind of go through just a few things that I, that we talked about at the program that I know is going to be really helpful for people. Just even if this is like an introduction, if nobody has heard of some of the things we're going to talk about, or if they don't know enough information, maybe this can be a launch pad for them to see themselves in some of these patterns and see, oh, okay, yeah, I can relate to that and maybe have some tools to go about it a little different. And one thing we talked about a lot at Onsite that I can highly relate to uh, is something called love addiction. I would love if you could just explain what is love addiction? Sure. I'll try to unpack that. Yeah. Um, that's a big one. I appreciate the opportunity to do it. And I want to go backwards to go forward if it's okay, because, well, let me invite you into this conversation. Before we unpack love addiction, can you just give me three adjectives that best describe love for you? Oh, wow. That's good. Okay. Um, I would say comforting, safe, and... I would say spiritual, but to me that it's a spiritual practice as well. So that would be beautiful. Fun. Yeah. And if we were going along with some Corinthians, we might say <laughs> love is patient, love is kind. We exactly. might add those to words like comforting and safe and spiritual. I yes. love your words. Yes. And so before I step into a conversation about love addiction, I, I always like to go back to what is love? And for me, all those beautiful words take me to a higher place. Mm. Love is all of that. And in our new way of wording, we're also, thanks to people like Brene Brown and others, <laughs> we also know this word called shame. And so I don't want to do a shame dump on such a beautiful concept as love. Mm. So to put love addiction as a term, <laughs> I think it has been powerful and helpful. And people like Pia Melody and other people have done such an extraordinary job of helping me to understand the craving mm. that feels addictive and never in the history of ever has me texting someone 30 times in the first hour of just going where the heck are you and then putting explanations and mad emojis on it ever been for me comforting safe or spiritual yes your words so i want to unpack that for those of you that are at the heart of dating truly going towards or wanting more love in your life, that is a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I would argue an innate biological human mm -hmm. drive. Yeah. And so I don't want to make any part of that wrong because right. that's what we're going towards, I hope. And I hope all the love in my life helps me ascend to the person that I'm supposed to be in this life. Mm, I love that. So I don't want to shame it. Mm -hmm. And the term love addiction came along because it's not love. I would say that love addiction is an obsession. So rather than trying to find that one person, maybe there's a couple out there in this lifetime, but maybe we're looking for the one person that I want to partner with that I can really be comforted by, safe within their experience and helps me 
to have a spiritual relationship. I'll mm-hmm. keep using your words. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. When it comes love addiction, love addiction is an obsession with finding the world in one lover mm-hmm. rather than the one lover in the world that I can connect with. Yes. So when a person's own growth and development as you alluded to, sometimes it happens earlier in our life that there's been built up an experience that creates a drive. And I will say, oftentimes the phrase is, we repeat what we need to and still have yet to repair. Mm. So if, for instance, early on in my life, I may have a primary caretaker or someone that was supposed to be there that mm, they were sometimes there, sometimes intentionally, well, then what may feel familiar to me as I create relationship models and internal working from that primary experience is I may believe that the best I can get is someone who's mm, sometimes there, mm, sometimes intentional. And I will keep going to that out of maybe an innate drive to heal it, Mm. maybe a subconscious desire to do, maybe understand it. But if, if I do not as you did, unpack with awareness or intentionality some of the wounding, then inevitably I may set up experiences that further wound me in the department of those early years of wanting someone. And in fact, wanting an entire world within that someone that can meet my needs. So I guess to further answer, Hmm. Pia Melody talks about it this way. She says, think of the love addiction cycle, a love addiction cycle, a pattern of behavior as being obsessed with a fantasy. Mm. And I'll go one step further saying it's a fear driven response towards a fantasy. And one step further, I would argue that fear is the opposite of love. But if fear is driving me to say, what the heck, where's my partner? What, what are they doing? What are they not doing? How, how do they not know me by now that I need that text because I just went through this experience. Where are you? If I'm doing that out of fear that they might leave me, that I'm not enough or that I'm too much, those are the core messages that I need to look at. Mm. Not in the other person, but I need to look within me. Yes. That's so good. It's like, okay, is this bringing up fear for us? And what messaging is that bringing up within us? And kind of taking that next step, which is to say, instead of blaming it on the other person, looking for the other person to fill that, it's about more so instead reflecting to say, wait, why Why are you having all of that fear? And what messages, why are those messages there to begin with, right? Kind of, and then yes. unpacking that. Exactly. Because if I'm going to make the solution external, mm. then that's a pretty dangerous game. But I'm going to invite your listeners and anyone to love themselves enough to be curious about what they can do within healing themselves. Because I promise you this, all the capacity is within each and every one of us and all the solutions probably start within us. Mm. I cannot have intimacy without first the letter I. I need to know who I am. And in fact, I need to know who I am and where I end and you begin in order to have a relationship that's healthy. Oh, I love that, Christine. I've never heard that. I cannot have intimacy without the capital letter I. That is so good. Um, And so often when I coach people, 
the you know people come to me for coaching and I'm like this isn't about being Will Smith hitch for you like I I am <laughs> not here to just like give you the best date of your life or give you your husband like a husband delivery service <laughs> so much of this we also end up talking about the relationship with God the relationship with self and how that is directly impacting how they show up and even see their dating life you know and oh, we yes. start there in coaching because I, I and that's a lot of the first times I meet with people it's about that because we can't just go straight to dating I'm like I'm not about that because if we don't fix these core issues if we don't talk about the core things that are affecting your mentalities both about other people and about yourself then we're not you're not going to show up in dating in true confidence in true love and true wholeness and so gosh, I wouldn't want to do that for people, you know? And so, oh my I God. love that. I just got chills and no wonder it's called the heart of dating <laughs> yes. because you're really, I mean, that what a beautiful phrase. Yes. What a beautiful title to the experience and the journey that you take people on. Mm, thank you. Hey friends, I want to take a quick break today in our amazing conversation to share with you about our really wonderful sponsor for this episode. Something you might not know about me is that I've struggled with hormonal and immune deficiencies. I've often had to check different levels of things going on in my body, such as my cortisol or my thyroid or other hormones, or even just vitamins like iron and vitamins D and B. But because I've moved around a lot, I've had to change a lot of my doctors and haven't had all my health tests in one place, which can be quite inconvenient, let me tell you. Also, let's be real. Going to the doctors for all these special tests can be difficult. You might have to wait forever to get scheduled, or the test might be expensive and not covered by your insurance. And because of these reasons, it's why a lot of people might not get the testing that they really need. As a single woman, I'm really passionate about getting as healthy as I possibly can, and that is why I am so glad I discovered Let's Get Checked. Let's Get Checked provides individuals with affordable, discreet, and professional access to health testing. They make healthcare open and patient-led and empower people to use technology in a simple but powerful way, giving you greater control of your health. Also, they're just so convenient. They're going to deliver accredited lab tests directly to your door and provide online results in two to five days. You no longer need to go to the doctor's office for these tests or take time off of work. Another reason to use Let's Get Checked is because you have control of the entire testing process and can manage your test results from a secure online account. This means you no longer have to chase down your doctor for information or charts. Last but not least, you can take confidence in knowing that your health is being tracked, monitored, and improved on an ongoing basis with continuous support from the Let's Get Checked medical team. You guys, Let's Get Checked is for anyone who wants to take a more scientific approach to understanding what's going on inside their body and just overall have more access and control. And guess what? For Heart of Dating listeners, you can get 20% off your health test by going to trylgc.com forward slash heart of dating and entering the code heart of dating. That's trylgc.com forward slash heart of dating and entering the code heart of dating. Now in this process, there's also, I guess there's kind of two different things that can happen. You can be more love addicted or more love avoidant as I understand it, right? And can you kind of talk through that? Yes. And again, I would go back to you talked a little bit, you yeah. alluded to. So I would go back to talking about all of this as a attempt to repair and attempt to repair an attachment wound. Yes. So there's a whole nother thing that I would call these, but 
in the traditional language of love addicted, maybe I fear deeply abandonment. Mm. And then when I get maybe by hook, crook, or by showing up as the person I thought you wanted me to be, I attract the person that I think I really want to love and that loves me back. And once I do, the underlying fear of abandonment will make me even fear the intimacy because I'll try to put intensity into a relationship with a neediness, the Mm. fantasy of love, denying my emotional needs because I'm not sure if that will be too much or drive my partner away. The reality um, of stress sometimes increasing in intensity. And then there's a cycle of a painful withdrawal from that fantasy, which can feel literally like that big old organ called my heart is breaking. On the other side of that, that's doing their own sort of cycle and the traditional cycle of love addiction is a love, what we would call a love avoidant. Mm -hmm. And they fear intimacy and then abandonment because it's really important for a love avoidant to feel like they're getting some level of love, but then may get quickly overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And these two pair perfectly and perfectly with each other. Their dysfunction dances and matches really well. So the love (laughs) avoidant creates intensity outside of the relationship because their biggest concern is the neediness of another, which they're co-creating in the cycle. And so if there was a bumper sticker for each of these, the love avoidant might say, it would say something like, I'm worried I mean too much to you. Mm -hmm. And the love addicted person's bumper sticker might look something like, I'm worried I'm not important enough to you. Yes. And then they dance. (laughs) They dance. And then they dance this crazy dance. (laughs) Exactly. And this is, I think, very common to happen. And it's odd. And I don't know if there's statistics about this, but I seem to, as I... I can relate more to the love addicted person based on my childhood, my history, what I've learned about myself. But I seem to in the past find myself typically with love avoidance. And it's it's a very interesting situation. I And I've talked about this with a lot of friends as well, because what happens, at least from what I've experienced, I'll talk very candidly and you can kind of come in and correct or explain more detail is, you know, I get excited. I'm really, whoa, this could be really incredible. My mind starts thinking about it. I start thinking they're just this wonderful person. And my mind maybe starts going into a little bit of that fantasy land. And, you know, I'm like kind of typically when I'm in this cycle, I'm like, I'm going to show them how amazing I am. And I'm like super awesome. And then (laughs) I notice them at first it's all good it's fine and dandy and then eventually it's not (laughs) eventually Mm -hmm. they're more they're not sending the the sweet text after the date or they're not responding as quickly and they seem to be more distant and more isolated and I'm like wait a second what's happening wait oh my gosh and that creates this like stress storm within me where I'm like is it something I did did they do something I'm stalking on Instagram now are they with any other women and it's just I mean this is just for real and then for me I'm like it it, I start acting out in whatever way that is (laughs) and sure and you know then when I have a conversation they're like wait a second like chill (laughs) you're like nothing's happening I'm just busy with work and I'm like (laughs) right uh oh okay I mean sure I guess work's a good excuse fine but then it continues because now I feel like the trust has been broken a little bit for me and I'm like okay well now I don't know if they're gonna come back (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, because I start feeling right. I'm fearing the abandonment. Anyhow, and then meanwhile, the love avoidant is like feeling I'm being really needy. This is just really candid to the listeners. This has happened to me many times. So I'm just you would not be the only one. I feel yes. like if we ask the world to raise their hands, if they relate, I would see a lot of hands up right now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then you start obsessing over what you said, how you said it, how long in between texts are things going? How long is it between seeing one another? It's all of those things, which in the end make you feel completely sick. Like you feel yeah. wrought over like my brain mentally back in the day when this was really bad, Christine, like I couldn't focus on anything else. Sure. Um, I was just like in a conversation with someone else and seeing, did he text me? Oh my gosh, no. Okay. And I couldn't even remain present. And so it took me away from friendships, from truly in being present and enjoying the moment and um, so many things. And I think that I, in, I put it a lot on the other person instead of taking responsibility as well for my own tendencies and patterns within that, right? Sure. Anyway, I I'm, that's just a long kind of thing. What, what do we do to kind of get out of this or what happens in these situations? Yeah. Well, first, I think there's a courage to naming what the internal experience is because it's so beautiful you have this platform because I think I resonate with it. I'm sure a zillion million people would too, to an aspect of that story. So I think it takes courage to name, this is what's going on in my brain mm -hmm. as I'm trying to, to find a place, safe, comfy landing for my heart. Yeah. So I appreciate you having words for it. I appreciate you having the self-awareness and the courage to match self-awareness and courage to have this opportunity in this platform to reach out to others who might feel the same. I hear you. And just to use your example, it highlights or illuminates the fact that for me, that definitely sounds like one of those love addiction cycles, yeah. because fear, if we looked at it neuroscientifically, fear makes us really myoptic focused on one thing and one thing only, and it becomes a matter. It feels sometimes like it's survival, life or death, if that text comes through. And then there's that awful thing where there's only bubbles on the text and then they disappear. <laughs> oh, no. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Right. Oh, it's so, terrible. Or if someone has their read receipts on, it's just like, oh, you read it, but you didn't respond. It's taking how could you not? Hours? Right. Yes. And then the stories we make up in between yes. the text or the bubbles or the silence between Oof. I read it and why aren't you saying something? And so it's our stories that we're making up that need to be looked at mm. because maybe the story is like you said hey I had work it was really busy today oh that's great I mean I guess that's a valid excuse for now but now I've begun to reveal what I'll call my crazy making <laughs> it's not crazy because it's 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 comes from a place of survival but it sure can be crazy making <laughs> and so if I have just begun to reveal a tip of that then the next time you walk away for <sighs> let's call it work then I'm going to not only question that because that's already where my head is, but now I've revealed that I'm not the, what did you call it? The super awesome woman who just walked <laughs> yes. into your life. Yes. So now I've revealed enough about myself that I'm for sure thinking that you're going to abandon that relationship. So we intensify mm -hmm. and actually feed our fears and make it more realistic that that then would happen because we've become more quote unquote overwhelming. The need and desire for love is beautiful. The neediness is out of a fear that it is not love. Love sets us free. 
never, never, never does it do anything else. And you talked about not being able to be present when I'm in love. I, everything is amazing. I'm so present. I want to hug the pizza delivery person because love expands and has a ripple effect. And I want to share that with you too, not in a sexualized way, but I just want to share that the aspect of love. And Mm. I guess that's where we could take a side trip and distinguish between love and sex. But rather than that, I will stay on this. And the part of the question you asked was, what can we do? And we've already talked about some of the first part of it and it's self-awareness. It's get a, get away from believing that the other is the problem or the solution mm. enough to come home to yourself and begin to explore the beliefs that created this. So that's definitely the first step. I really love that. And if I can name it as going back to your words, comforting, safe, and spiritual, that dance doesn't feel like any of those. So maybe this is where I add in comforting support. Mm. Maybe this is where I go to someone else for safety. Maybe this is where I go to my spiritual resources and say, look, God, I am not doing well. (laughs) Help me (laughs) love myself in the way that I know that you do in Mm. order to show up differently. How do I come back to that? Yes. That's so good. <laughs> I think that that's been so much of the journey for me, Christine. So much that I learned at Onsite and that I had started learning also before that is how much can I take care of this myself as well? If I'm anxious right now, I want to figure out because of this person, what they are and are not doing, what within me can I control about that? Um, and it's not to say we don't have needs because that's been a thing for me as well. Like there are certain level of needs that we have that are valid, you know, but there's also a level of figuring out and recognizing these patterns, especially when it's being, when it's kind of debilitating us. And it's our, at least in the, when you're more the love addict, it's like you're over-focusing on it and it's like, it's kind of destroying your mind and it's taking all of your attention. And so that's to me a cue of like, Hey, if you're, I mean, maybe we can even just on that segue into some of the symptoms or some of the signs, like if someone's listening, if they can maybe see themselves in the situation, but what would be more signs if you are a love addict or like, you know, love addicted versus a love avoidant in the love addiction cycle? Well, and I, with your blessing, hopefully we'll step away from the labels just to say, if you are doing a cycle or a dance of unhealthy bonding, period, the end whatever perspective you may take, because even those two roles, even though they pair uh, perfectly and perfectly well together, I will hopefully step away from a label or a role in order to really look at my behavior and then the beliefs that support them. So some of the behaviors that will key me off to begin to look at my beliefs and in a way not sacrifice the super awesome person that I am in on behalf of this relationship is like in unhealthy bonding, I could enter the relationship through the fantasy. And many of us do that. There's the honeymoon phase. And it sounded like in the way that you were sharing, once the roses started being less or the gestures of the honeymoon phase began to go ideally into another phase of relationship, maybe I begin to tell myself that if there isn't a honeymoon, there isn't love. Mm. And maybe we need to separate that because I've been married for more than a decade. And certainly it doesn't always feel like honeymoon right. There are stages to a relationship where hopefully there's a conscious way of loving 
someone and knowing them and loving them even more. And that it doesn't involve the small gestures, but the big hearts that have paired. So back to your question, I may in unhealthy bonding be in denial about the other person's unavailability yeah. emotionally, not just physically. I may experience an event that destroys a denial, like, what do you mean you have to go to work? And then if I begin to feel like the fantasy is shattered, I got a couple of choices. I can either rebuild that pedestal that you were talking about, mm -hmm. rebuild my fantasy and double down with intensity, or I can begin to look at and love the real person in front of me. Mm. So I don't have to keep up my mask and I'm not trying to have a relationship with a mask. Um, so unhealthy bonding, I might engage in obsessive planning on how to get this person back or their interest back. I may barter sex for love. Mm. I may engage in addictive behaviors outside of the relationship to medicate the pain of withdrawal from they just went to work. I'm going to have a glass of wine. Mm. Fine. A glass of wine doesn't have to be unhealthy, but if my intention is to numb the pain that this person or the void that this person just created, then I need to look at that. Yes. And in unhealthy bonding, I either return to a relationship or start a new relationship still with that fantasy, mm. still with the fantasy intact. So in other words, different day, different person, same fantasy. Yep. Yep. I can really relate to all this. I'm taking notes and I'm like, hmm, never done that before. <laughs> no. Right. And for me, the way, if I can just match your, your beautiful vulnerability for me, I would really have prior to the marriage that I have now, but when I was in the dating world, I would have a tolerance for mm. high risk behavior or inappropriate behavior yes. that was not warranted. Mm. So my self-worth was underneath my beautifully honed mask, but my self-worth or low worthlessness or inability to be without someone was really confusing me. And it would just show up as a neediness yeah. and a tolerance for what I didn't need to tolerate while an inner rage was brewing over the lack of nurturing or the perceived abandonment that I was experiencing. Mm. So I would get highly manipulative. I would get controlling while the unrealistic expectations rode the relationship. And I would mistake that intensity for intimacy. Ooh, oh my gosh, you're speaking to me so much <laughs> because <laughs> I, yeah, and the listeners know I've shared about my story of abuse from a really terrible relationship years ago, mm. but that it so describes exactly what I experienced within that relationship. He was... And, and that was, and that's how I became, you know, I became highly controlling, highly manipulative because these cycles were continual and it was my, it was my survival mechanism. And we would have very intense moments, which would, you know, play out in a variety of different ways, unhealthy ways. And I would mistake some of that for a level of intimacy, but it was just intensity. Wow. Exactly what you said. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I relate. I resemble that remark. And then for somebody on the opposite end, just to kind of speak to people in that, like the person who we, you and I maybe has more, have been in relationships with in the past. What are symptoms mm -hmm. that they may be going through in the relationship when they are fearing, I believe it's intimacy at first and then abandonment, right? Right. Yep. So it's the quick, I can show up with the roses. I can show up as the good person. I can show up as the sexy woman, dashing man, whatever the story I'm beginning to make up myself for myself. And I can enter the relationship with all the things I need to do to hook someone. Mm. And then once I hooked them, I'm like, Ooh, this isn't a catch and release program. I, wait, you're still here. And this 
This week you have an issue at work. So for the people who often are more avoidant uh, in personality type, and we can go between these two, you're not, you usually have a favorite starting position, but I haven't met too many people that haven't tried it at some point the other way. <laughs> maybe, maybe. So if I am at this point avoidant in my style, then I would look at things like, oh my gosh, I can be charming, but or my partner can be charming, but once it stops being quote unquote fun, I'm out mm. either emotionally or physically. Yeah. I may begin to have to cast my net wider, meaning I am so interested in how people see me. So I'm the witting, engaging person at the bar. And then I go home to my, my intimate partner and I'm not witty or engaging, <laughs> or I don't find them witty or engaging, like my true grumpy self or my quieter soul and withdrawing self shows up. Mm. And if they're not giving me the goo goo eyes, I will go seek that somewhere else. What I won't do is land my goo goo heart. What I won't do as an avoidant is probably say, gosh, I'm really struggling. Mm. Or if I'm off the pedestal and feeling that, I won't be like, phew, yes. now we can totally brush our teeth while we talk together or you know there's something in between my teeth and that's okay no we don't show the spinach in between the teeth moment I keep the image up so both people are trying to live in the fantasy I just have a really big idea about the fantasy of me and how I am rescuing perhaps you so if I find myself fixing or needing people who need me that's more of the avoidant mm, wow that's good okay so this is such a good description because I think I'm recognizing so many things in both of these lenses and it's so helpful even though I've heard so much about this before obviously even at onsite um, I'm learning so much just from this conversation again I think what's also coming up for me is then the added element and layer within this which is a cycle of codependency that typically happens mm -hmm. and so can we just with the time we have left like kind of talk through some of that because I believe and maybe you can correct me on this Christine that people there's a level of of a lot of people have a level of codependency and it might be a low grade fever or it might be a raging flu, but there's a, there's a level at, that is happening usually. And there's some people who are like, no, I've never ever struggled with codependency. I'm like, really? I don't. Okay. But, and maybe, maybe that is true. Maybe I'm totally wrong that there's some people out there that have never had issues with it. But um, what is, what yes, is that? I believe they're out there. Yeah, they are. Okay, great. <laughs> Thank yes. you. for. I want to be friends with them. Hi. Um, yes. <laughs> if you're out there. Call Kate. Call, I want to be your you. friend. Yes, mm -hmm. let's be friends. Or if you're a single male, please call me. Okay, just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just had to do it. I had to throw it out there. But can we talk through like what happens in that situation? I'm happy to go whatever direction you want. I'll just toss it to you. Sure. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that codependency came hot on the scene somewhere around when we began to look at co-addiction. So it mm. came out of the addiction world and it really blew up in the 80s and 90s. And it began to lose its original meaning, I think, and become so overused yes. that I jokingly could say that I'm really codependent on my dog, my furry friend <laughs> right. who needs to eat before I do because his needs are so much more important. So I think it's important to bring it back to somewhat of a definition. That's good. Um, and I don't know, Tian Dayton does some wonderful work and she even brings in the research on attachment and trauma into this definition. But truthfully, I think there's 
beautiful definition that she says about how our left brain, the language part of our brain, when we get scared, when we're back into that fear place, it gets overwhelmed and shuts down. What remains active, however, is the emotional scanning system or hypervigilance as it's been called. So again, to go backwards to your storyline, if children who grew up in a home where there was maybe someone there or maybe someone that was there was sometimes drunk or mm. that there was a, a emotional unsafety for whatever reason in the house, then they can stay hyper-focused on reading other people's emotions. And in turn, and they will, and I have sacrificed myself because in reading that person's other emotional signals, I can not only get adept, but I can do it to the exclusion of my own. So I become in touch more with what other people around me are feeling than even what's going on for me. That being said, one of the simpler definitions I know is if I stuck a thermometer in your mouth and then that's how I read how I was feeling, that's codependency. Ooh, wow. Yeah, that's good too. <laughs> so if I'm beginning to sacrifice my knowingness of myself or anything about my true self on behalf of you, there's a high that I think a lot of us get from someone wants to hear what we say or fixing or whatever. But more often than not, it's when I have become disconnected from myself in order to connect with the other or connecting with other in replacement of connecting with myself that that mm. becomes codependency. Yeah, this is I've seen this played out in a variety of ways in my own life and in friendships. And I agree with you to the point that it's become such a like kind of a a pop culture term almost in a way like, oh, you're mm -hmm. really codependent with your cat. Like, that's really bad. Um, you need to get that <laughs> right? under control. Like you're codependent with your phone. Now, I don't know. But like we could say it with anything yeah. these days. And yes, but I think to your point, like where my check in with this is, am I so concerned about how the other person is feeling that it's then beginning to destroy me? <laughs> that's beautiful. That's a great one. And there's symptoms of it, uh, you know, basically, if I am having difficulty loving myself, yeah. um, oh, I could never take care of myself because there's a whole world out there that needs more care than me. Mm -hmm. If I'm putting my la myself last each and every time, I will lose myself. And so, or difficult setting boundaries. If you think boundaries is a bad word, um, you might want to look at some things in your own life because there is no healthy relationship without boundaries, not one. Yes, that's good. I think there's the, we had a, um, an author, Gary Thomas, he was on the podcast earlier last year. He wrote a, an awesome book actually about when to walk away. And so it was just mm. an amazing book about boundaries basically, and also how to spot toxic people. But I do believe in some ways Christians can be some of the most codependent people in mm. my opinion. And that's just opinion I have because we just are overly willing to do things for other people at the expense of ourselves consistently. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you're allowed to have boundaries with your church. You're allowed to have boundaries with serving people and taking care of yourself. And I think if we look in the mod model of Jesus in the Bible, he had boundaries, you know, like yes. he didn't just do everything at everyone's beck and call. I was reading in a book the other day about this hilarious how, you know, he's fine. Jesus finds out Lazarus is dying and he's like, OK, 
he waits two days until he goes to see him. <laughs> and I think it's hilarious. And I'm like, A, he's not in a hurry. We can learn a lot from that. <laughs> B, he's not codependent because like, he, I mean, he just, he's like, okay, I will get to him when I get to him. You know, it's like, oh my yes. gosh. Like, wow. I love that. I love you. <laughs> this is one that, of his thank besties. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. It just makes me laugh. And so I think, you know, and as Christians, we, 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 and that comes back to me being like, what are your needs? What are your boundaries? How do you need to take care of yourself? And that's been a very hard journey for me figuring that out and finding that balance within relationships. But, you know, in these situations of even love addiction, coming back to that, me knowing like, if the other, if the way the other person is, is acting is if I'm constantly trying to change that, or I'm hyper-focused on that, or mm-hmm. that is dictating my everyday move, it's again, it's destroying me and it's, it's making my self-care and, and <laughs> go down the tubes, you know, and, yes. and it's my thermometer is in their mouth and it only cares about that. Right. It's like, yes. If I'm so other centered that I have lost my center well, then it will be really hard to have any kind of relationship if you don't have a relationship with yourself. Yes. And so I've learned to practice very harshly over the years now because it's been a hard lesson of especially I believe that we train other people how they treat us. And so if you constantly, for example, have somebody that is texting you and you constantly text back immediately when they text you, you're training them that you are always available. So then when you start to change that pattern and let's say you don't respond right away and it takes six hours because you're busy at work, the the other person's like, wait a second, I'm sorry, why aren't you responding? (laughs) Because they will fill it in with the stories. Are you mad at me? What's happening? What's going on with you? Yes. Yep. But it's the process of, okay, I'm creating new boundaries systems, which is hard. And I think a big part of this process is a coming back to yourself, figuring out also then once I maintain and figure out how to find and start rebuilding up my own wholeness, then what do I need to put in place in my life so that doesn't keep getting destroyed all the time? Ooh, and, say that again. Ooh. That good. <laughs> Once I can come back to my own wholeness and figure out that healing, what do I need in my life so that doesn't keep getting teared down? I mean, I said it in a different way, but same message. Yes. And that's what boundaries do we need to, to be able to maintain that, right? And I always... I tell people like, yes, their love is a level of it is sacrificial, but you also are a fully autonomous person that has your own soul, that has your own life, that has your own relationship with God. And none of that should be fully sacrificed at all for the sake of anything. (laughs) No. And I think we often do that uh, and figuring out, okay, what is this that is hold this? What does that even look like for me? So many of us don't even know what that looks like for ourselves. So I'm like, let's start there. And then once we start working on that once we start experiencing that once we start piecing that back together how do what boundaries do we need to put in with people with our disciplines with our lifestyle to be able to maintain that level of wholeness that's what pretty much the journey has looked like for me that I then have to reflect in dating relationships which can be incredibly difficult but it's Mm -hmm. it's it's the journey it is yes and I love that phrase that someone said to me once it helped me on my boundary journey is that the only people who really don't like it when you begin to have a more boundary life are the same people who it really worked for them when you didn't have any boundaries at all. I would pick up someone at the airport at 2 a.m. even though I had to get to work in a few hours like 
I really needed to check myself. Mm. The intention is good, but if there is no self, then there is no ability to pick up anyone at the airport, no matter what the time is. If I'm running around as a zombie and I want to live life and I want to, in fact, live in love as if the two are one. I want to be so wholehearted in this journey that I get to be whole in this journey. Yeah, it's so good. I'm reading again about Jesus's lifestyle and just how many times like he went away to pray. That is a consistent practice all throughout the Gospels. He went away to pray. That was his spiritual discipline. And he made time for that all of the time. And even the disciples were like, Jesus, come over and do this thing. And he's like, I'm going away to pray. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but these are specific examples I think we kind of glaze over. But those are the moments Jesus is like, here's my hashtag boundary and here is my time (laughs) for my wholeness and my spiritual wholeness and my internal wholeness. And this this is my time. I need that because I can't do anything with y'all unless I also have this, you know? Yes. Oh my gosh. We just need so much of that. And Christine, this is so good. I can go on forever with you. Obviously, this is such a great conversation, (laughs) but I would just love to wrap up this conversation, Christine. And first of all, thank you. But before we fully end, I got to ask you our final question that everybody on the podcast gets asked, which is just, what is your final nugget of dating advice for the listeners today? Oh, that's a good one. And you're asking someone who's an old married woman. So (laughs) I think from this side of the fence, I would say that to not be tethered to other people's emotional experience or actions as you do the deep dive and the work to be whole as much as you can to do that self-love that get, takes you into the wholeness that you can have just a whole hearted experience in life. Uh, Telliard, I think, is the author that said, joy is the most infallible sign of God. So hopefully you're not just doing, you're having some fun. Mm. And in the exploration of you that is a part of dating, I would hope there's joy. Christine, thank you so much today for everything, for sharing your wisdom, for talking candidly about your experiences and and about OnSite. I mean, I just am so, I will cherish that time at OnSite forever. I'm still processing things I learned there. And I hope that everybody listening, if you've never heard of OnSite, I highly recommend you just at least take a gander on what they're all about because it's just truly a beautiful place. And yeah, Christine, I just want to thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for being fearless in the way that you're loving on the world. I appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Christine Jackson, for just being such a lovely and wonderful human being and sharing things that we can practically use as we approach romantic relationships in our lives. Friends, as you know, I cannot say enough beautiful things about OnSite and specifically the healing, love, and relationships program that I did while I was there. And if you personally want to find out more, you can visit OnSiteWorkshops.com. That's OnSiteWorkshops.com. You can find a list of all the programs that they offer on their website, but the one specifically I did was the Healing, Love, and Relationships program. Also, make sure to check them out on Instagram because they post some really beautiful and inspiring things over there. They are at OnSite workshops on Instagram as well. You guys, I just really love learning and growing together as a family, and I hope you enjoy diving into these new areas of discovery in our hearts. See you next time, friends. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.